Awesome. If you have your Bibles, we're going to uh, read from Luke chapter 24. We just read the first eight verses during worship where the women run to the tomb and discover that it's empty, encounter the angels, and then uh, we're going to finish the reading right now where they tell the disciples about this and see their response. So this is Luke verse uh, 9 of chapter 24. It says, when they came back from the tomb, they had told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women. You may be here today, and this may be an encouragement to you. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus yet, or maybe you're just checking out faith for the first time and trying to figure that out, you're in good hands because even the first apostles did not believe at first. Of course, they did an assessment. They encountered a resurrection Savior. They end up believing, but you're, not, you're in good company. You're not alone in, in your thoughts. And we hope today to convince you that there is a resurrected Savior, but they even they didn't believe. Check this out. It says, because their words seemed like nonsense, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. This is an extraordinary story. This is not a myth. This is not a legend. This literally took place. This did happen. There are documents outside of the Holy Bible, external historical documents that actually record the resurrection of Jesus. But when people first hear about it, there's this confusion. It's like we read this. It seemed like nonsense to them. No, no one rises from the dead. However, the disciples had spent three years with Jesus. He's healing people. They know there's something powerful about this man. He's claiming to be the Messiah. Of course, we just celebrated Good Friday where we talked about that the cross at the cross, the curse is reversed. Everything that has gone wrong with the world in the Garden of Eden is flipped, turned on its head, and God is reversing the curse. But he did tell them that in three days I would rise again. His last few months of ministry, you read throughout the Gospels, he keeps throwing out these hints that, hey, I'm going to be taken and and pulled in by the hands of sinners. They're going to crucify me, but I'm going to rise again in three days, which is why we just read that the women remembered, like, oh, yeah, while we're in Galilee, he said this would happen. So this is stirring something in them. Now, none of them had encountered him physically yet. They would sometime that day. uh, When they went back to Galilee in the next few days, they would encounter him physically but they had just heard from these angels that there's a resurrection and it seemed like nonsense and I wonder what Peter was thinking about because it said he wondered what happened because he hadn't yet seen the resurrected Savior but he goes to the tomb he looks it's empty this is weird there were soldiers that guarded it and how could they have let this happen because they because they failed their mission in Roman culture those soldiers would have been crucified they would have been killed for allowing that stone to be rolled away so this, this wasn't like they stole the body. You did not steal from the Roman soldiers. They would have they taken out the, the apostles. But he had wondered. He, I wonder what, what was he thinking? What was he questioning? It doesn't tell us, but perhaps maybe he's, he's thinking about Jesus saying that he would rise again. Or maybe he's wondering he would see these other two men that the women talked about, the angels. Would he encounter them? What kind of questions would he ask? And I want to ask you a question today. If you could go back in time. And meet one person who's no longer with us, whether now or through, throughout the centuries, 
What one person from the past would you like to meet? And what one question would you like to ask them? And I knew I was going to ask you this, so I was thinking about this this week. It's kind of two people I would like to meet while I'm still alive on this side of eternity is Elvis Presley. I would like to meet Elvis Presley. Now, does anyone not know who he is? All right, good. Everyone knows who he is. So I don't need to explain that. Uh, love Elvis. Always enjoyed him. It was probably my introduction to music was Elvis. And I would want to ask him this question because I had heard all, in interviews of people who were close to him had indicated he felt like he missed his calling. He wanted to be a preacher. And, he, and at the end of his life, he was reading the Bible three or four hours a day. That's the kind of question and the conversation that I would want to have with him. The other person I, I thought about, if I could meet one person, perhaps Billy Graham. I think I would like to meet Billy Graham. And I, don't, and I wonder, like, what question would I want to ask him? I think for me, the thing I would want to know is how did you handle that pressure? How did you handle the pressure of ministry? I mean, he had, he was in politics. He wasn't political, but he had a political influence. He had a, a, he had a religious influence with the world. He's probably responsible for leading more people to the Lord than anybody that we know. I, would want, I think I'd want to talk to him. Well, this question was asked somewhere in the 1940s to C.E.M. Jode. He was a, a professor of philosophy at the London University. So he's no longer with us. He died in 1953. But he was not a Christian. He was an unbeliever. He was agnostic, didn't believe in Jesus. But he was doing a radio interview, and they asked that question. said, if you could meet one person in the past, who would it be and what one question uh, would you ask them it without hesitation? I mean, didn't start, didn't, didn't miss a beat. And he said, oh, that's easy. I would want to meet Jesus Christ. And I would ask him, did you or did you not rise from the dead? And then Jode said this, because if he rose from the dead, that changes everything. And that is true. This is not, and, and the title of my message is the most important question. In the world to ever ask is, did this happen? Did Jesus literally rise from the dead? And if he did, if the resurrection is true, it changes everything. And that has implications. And I just want to tell you, if it's true, it means it's something better for us. So I want to talk about that today. What is it that makes it better for us? What does this mean for us? If there's a resurrected Savior, what does this mean for us today? And number one is this, if there's a resurrected Savior, this means the risen Jesus is present with us now. He is present with us right now. Before the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit did not dwell in people. That did not happen until the book of Acts. That did not happen until Pentecost. Uh, there was no Holy Spirit. John tells us that even the apostles did not have the Holy Spirit until he rose from the grave and he breathed on them and he told them to receive it. But as followers today, we now have the Holy Spirit, the, the literal presence of Christ on the inside of us. If he rose from the dead, and he did, it is true. That has implications. And what that means is now we have access to God. And he'll talk to us. He'll speak to us. He'll lead us in our life. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to, Jesus said, he will tell you things to come. It, Jesus said, we just had a series where he talked about the voice of God. My sheep know my voice. We follow the voice of Jesus. Well, that happens through the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1, Paul tells us this in verse 21 and 22. Now it is God who makes us both, both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. That speaks of power in our life. 
which we'll get to in a minute. He's anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. If you're a follower of Jesus, he puts the Holy Spirit in your heart. If there is a resurrected Savior, and if this event is true, that has implications. And now we can know God, and he can know us, and he puts his Holy Spirit on the inside of us. I love Jesus. I talk to him every day. I encounter his presence every day. But I'll never forget the first time. There's been a lot of big moments most of the times it's just a sense of peace, but the biggest, one of the biggest moments was the day I decided to follow Jesus. I was 10 years old. It was 1984, wintertime. I think it was January. And we were at a Clyde Duplin crusade. My mother was the first in our family to give her heart to Jesus. My dad was agnostic. His whole family was agnostic. His mother was an atheist. His dad didn't believe in God. We come, that side of the family comes from a, a family of unbelievers and actually antagonistic towards God. Hated Christians, hated everything about religion. My dad did not like church. When my mom got saved, she begged him to go to Easter, begged him to go to church, and he did. And when he got done with the service, he rolled down the window. I think it was a Christmas Eve service. Rolled down the window, flips God off, yells at God out the window because he's so angry at God. My mom was the first to give her heart to the Lord. One day she's watching Pat Robinson, good old Pat, still doing it though, that guy. Pat Robinson was on TV, and if you don't know, I can't, I haven't watched him in a while, probably decades actually, but I remember my mom would always watch Pat Robinson. When dad would come in, she would change the channel because he would get angry. Well, one day, either she was out of the living room or something, because uh, in those days, you know, you didn't watch it on computer in your bedrooms. You had a TV, it was like this big, this deep, and they're this thin now. Look, millennials, our TVs literally were like this thick. They, they were like furniture <laughs> like gen x's can i get a witness weren't those things they they were made out of wood wood they designed it to have a wood grain there were dials this big you would click it you would click to find your channel and in those days children were the remote They're, like dad had a recliner mike go change the channel all right nope keep turning okay Keep turning. That's how you did it back in the old days. Well, mom wasn't in the living room, and she couldn't get to the, the channel changer fast enough. And dad walks in, sits down in a recliner, and it's good old Pat Robinson. And he has someone telling a story. This guy who had died, had a near-death experience, comes back to life, but his experience was not heaven. It was hell. So you have an experience like that, you decide to follow Jesus. So he gives his heart to the Lord. He becomes a minister. This resonates with my dad for some reason. He's like, well, this guy hated God just like me. And I know that if he hated God just like me, he's not going to change for some, just because someone said something. He must have really had an experience that changed my dad's life. And my dad gives his heart to the Lord. Pat Robinson does a prayer. He, he prays with Pat Robinson. And he said, peace flooded his life that he had never felt before. What was that? That was, yeah. Thank you, God. It changed the destiny of our family. But my dad, when he felt that peace and he shares that story, it changed the lineage of our family. But what was that? That was the presence of the risen Christ. My dad encountered it through a television. Some of you are watching online. Even now as I'm sharing the story, you're feeling that. that that's like meaningful to you. What is that? That's God pursuing you. 
If there's a resurrected Savior, if the resurrection happens, and it did, everything changes and your life gets better. So that's the first one. If it's true, it means we have Jesus with us today. Number two is this. If there's a resurrection, there is resurrection power to transform us. If the resurrection is true, and it is, there is power to transform our lives. Our past, when we choose to follow Jesus, no longer defines us. Jesus actually rewrites history. He, will, he rewrote the Copenhagen lineage the day my dad gave his heart to the Lord. History was rewritten. It changes destinies. I felt like even as a little boy, at five or six years old, I felt called to... Um, well, I didn't use the word calling. Then I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to go into the music industry. So that was what I felt like I was going to do with my whole life. But Jesus changes destiny. He called me into ministry when I was 20 years old. I felt a calling. He changes destiny. He transforms lives. When I met my wife for the first time and we, we get married, I struggled with pornography. And even at 18 years old, just the, the month I met my wife, I was partying, I was drinking, I, I couldn't break sexual immorality, I couldn't change any of those things on my own power and my own strength. And I remember it was 1993, I had just, uh, I was, had a nasty, nasty hangover, and I was sitting around the toilet, the porcelain god for drunks. So here I was feeling my head on that cold porcelain because it was feeling good after a nasty throw-up session. And I had this thought, what am I doing? I, do, I don't want to live like this. And I give my heart to the Lord right there in the bathroom. I tell him, I, I rededicate. I knew the Lord before that because I'd gotten saved at 10, but I fell away from my faith. But I rededicate my heart around that toilet. And I never picked, that's funny. That is, I think it's funny. It's a weird place to get saved. But at that moment, I lost the appetite to party. There was one thing I couldn't figure out, and it was the sexual immorality. I was living a very loose, immoral lifestyle. And I told the Lord, I said, I don't know how to change that. That is such a drive in me as a young man, and I don't know how to fix that. And I had, was dating girls and seeing other girls. I was not living a very good life, and I couldn't figure out, like, how to stop that behavior. But I just told him, I'm going to give you my life right in my brokenness, right in my mess. And I said, if you'll take me, I'll just live for you, but you need to know I can't fix that. I can't change it. I'm probably going to keep doing that. And I think the Lord put up with it for a while. And then I meet my wife, and she comes to, and we're dating for a few months. We're living in moral. Uh, I'm, I'm in love with God. I, I felt free from the alcoholism. But then what happened is uh, I take Jenny to church. It was May, so it was, we were past Easter. But I take her to church one day. The pastor leads her to the Lord uh, in his office. And I'm sitting in the office, and I'm thinking, well, we can't sleep together if she's a Christian. I didn't mind if she wasn't a Christian, but now that she's a follower of Jesus, to, in my mind, and it's, I know it's a warped way of thinking, but it's how the Lord used it in the moment. I just thought, well, if she's, she's a daughter of God now. So I, we get in the car, and I tell her, hey, I know this just won't make sense to you, but uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, now we got to live right. We, we can't be sleeping together. And She was like, yeah, okay. 
But the drive, like, just stopped. I didn't want to be immoral. What's That is resurrection power. That is resurrection power to break the cycle of partying, to, to break the addiction of immorality. Some of us, we need this kind of resurrection power in our life. Last Easter, because we had this thing happen, he who has ears, let him hear. We had this thing that happened. We didn't have church. We had to do it all online. No one was in the room. So we just thought, hey, Instead of preaching a message, let's just invite people to tell their story. So we invited uh, three couples from our church that God had touched and transformed their life. One couple was A.J. and Lindsay Curtis. They came up here. They told their story. They had started attending our church basically from the very beginning seven years ago. And what they were doing is uh, A.J. had a secret addiction. And uh, his wife didn't have any clue of it, but it, gets, it comes, you know, she finds out about it. And their marriage is about ready to fall apart. They, they have a meeting here at the church. He gets help. He gets in, into a Christian rehab. God transforms his life. He, he stops uh, uh, his addiction to drugs. He, God heals their marriage. They have a, their, last, their last child. Got, uh, the middle name is Michael to my name, I think. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> Bowden means like God. Bowden, Michael, one who is like God. So hopefully that's true for Bowden. Listen breaks off the chain of addiction and heals their marriage. That's resurrection power, transforming a marriage and a life. Another couple that day was a woman who also had a secret uh, thing. She had terminated her pregnancy at, at the age of 17 years old and had carried that secret for years. No one knew. So like two people in her whole life, no one knew. And it ate at her. She... She had this shame she couldn't shake. It took Jesus to break that shame and, and to learn that one day she will see her child in heaven to be forgiven of what, what she thought she could never be forgiven for. Only Jesus can take such a traumatic event and transform their life. If we're followers of Jesus, there is a resurrection power that has the ability to transform our life. Here's how Paul said in the 2 Corinthians 5. says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. What's in Christ? That means you decide to follow him. We recognize we're broken. We're recognizing, we recognize we have a need for a Savior. And when we do and we choose to follow him, he forgives us of our sin. Now we are in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes on the inside of us. Now we have access to God. Now we're in relationship with him. That's what it means to be in Christ, in relationship with him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here, present tense. If the resurrection happens, that means there's a resurrection power available to us. Ephesians tells us the same power that was exerted in Christ Jesus to raise him from the dead now dwells in us. That's how it's possible to be a new creation. What did Paul say? The old's gone. That old sinful nature of me that wanted to party, that wanted to live in moral, that's not who I am anymore. I did some shameful things that I'm not proud of, some things that I will probably never say from the pulpit. But that's not, I'm not that man anymore. I'm a different man today. I'm, there's a new creation on the inside of me. And you may be here and you may be thinking, you know what? 
I, I can't get right with God. I got way too many. I, let me get cleaned up first. Let me get because we tend to think Christianity is about behavior modification. Modify your behavior so you can be good for God. And if your good outweighs the bad, you'll go to heaven. That's not the gospel. The good news is you don't have to fix yourself. You bring your broken self, your messiness, and everything that's wrong about you to God right in the middle of that mess. And you say, hey, I'm broken. I'm a mess. And he heals you. There's a power to transform you. And in that very moment, that is a new creation. The scriptures say he never even looks at our sin anymore. He won't even call it to memory. It says he throws it as far as the east is from the west. We're the ones who call it back to memory. We're the ones that stay stuck in our shame. But God says, I don't even see that. What are you talking about? I see the righteousness of Christ on you. That is the resurrection power to transform your life. If the resurrection is true, and it is, if there is really, really a resurrection power, it changes everything, and everything is for the better. Now, when I say better, I mean a better message. A better word for your life. I don't mean life is rosy. Because we go through the storms of life like everybody else. But our response to the storms is different. The world looks at the media, looks at the news cycle, and it brings fear. It brings destruction. It's the sky is falling and everybody get, becomes afraid. And there may be some the reality and truth what's being shown in the news cycle. But, the, but when you have Jesus... You're not disturbed like other people. I'm not saying you, it, it doesn't concern you. It is concerning, but we don't walk in fear. We walk in faith, and that happens because we have a peace that now leads our life because of this resurrection power that is dwelling with us, and we know that Jesus has a better future. All things are made new. Everything about you and everything about creation and everything about history itself. Jesus, one day, is going to restore all things as it should be. Now, I don't know about you. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, and you may not believe it, you might not believe in the resurrection, you may not believe that God can dwell in us, you may not believe that you can become a new person and you can actually break habits off your life, addictions can be lost, depression could leave you, shame could leave you over unworthiness, every lie that you've been processing in your life that tells you you're unworthy, you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough, you never have enough, all of those things, you might not believe it, but I would think you would at least would want it to be true. Wouldn't you want it to be true that your life could be transformed? Wouldn't you want it to be true that one day everything is going to be made right? That Wouldn't you want it to be true that one day in heaven there will be no more tears? There will be no more sickness? Wouldn't you want it to be true that God is going to take every broken thing about the world and restore it just as it was in the Garden of Eden? Perfect. Sounds like what we just read in Luke 24, nonsense, except it isn't. It's true. It's true. If the resurrection is a reality, then everything changes and there's a better message. There's a better story to be told. It's what we call the gospel, the good news. It's good news that our life can be redeemed. It's good news that we can be restored. It's good news and it's because of the resurrection. I don't think people, even unbelievers, people who have not, are not followers, you're not in the Christian, you're not a Christian, even unbelievers don't 
debate that Jesus existed. That's, you know, it's undeniable he, he's lived. That what they debate is his claim to be God and the claim of his disciples that he rose again. And the scriptures talk about, they, all kinds of stories came out of that. Like they said, well, uh, the guards um, fell asleep and the disciples in the middle of the night kidnapped him to say he rose from the grave. Well, that wouldn't have been in the Jewish mindset that to create a story of a resurrected Savior. That happened because of the resurrection. And here's the thing. There were 500 witnesses that had seen him, physical people seen this resurrection. The guards uh, were told to tell a lie. But the, all 11, except for John, 11 of the 12 apostles died crazy, awful deaths because of their belief that Jesus rose again. Because of their witness of it. For instance, I think Peter was filleted to death. Peter, uh, Thomas was filleted to death. Peter was crucified on the cross upside down because he didn't want to, he didn't feel like he was worthy enough to be crucified upside up like Jesus was because of his Savior. He said, no, put me upside down. Some of them were burned at the stake. Some of them were fed to lions. Let me ask you a question. If you are fabricating a lie and perpetuating this lie, I would think at the point, because it's not like today, you, if, if you tell a lie in court, you, could, you can go to jail for that, pay a penalty maybe, 90 days in jail, you weren't honest at the court. But if the court's like, we're just going to kill you because you lied, you'd be like, you're right, I lied, you know what, I want to live. And um, they were willing to die for what they witnessed you don't die for a lie. You also have a problem explaining how the Christianity happens. Because Christianity was formed in 50 days. A complete movement born out of Judaism. Within 50 days of the resurrection at Pentecost, 3,000 people come to faith that very day in a new church. A new religion is born called Christianity. That doesn't happen. Movements take decades and decades. In fact, we're still wrestling with the movement in our nation called the Civil Rights Movement, and it still isn't what we want, right? Listen, well, why is that? Because it takes decades to figure it out. But Christianity happened in days. You have a hard time explaining how that's possible in a culture where they killed you for it. Unless it happened, that would explain it. So if the resurrection's real... And it is. It changes absolutely everything for the better. Because it's a better message. It's a better word. It's a real story. Here's the last one. And we'll close with this. If the resurrection's true, then we can be confident of our eternal future. This life is not the end. Heaven is real. Hell is is a reality. It's not popular to say anymore. There are theologians rewriting this because we don't like it in our Western mindset and our scientific-driven age. We like the idea of love. We like the idea of forgiveness. Let's not talk about the reality of being eternally separated from God. But there's life beyond the grave, guys. And if heaven's a reality, then... Uh, if, if the resurrection is a reality, then so is heaven. First Peter, who was the witness to the resurrection, says this. In his great mercy, he has given us 
new birth, that's that new creation, that's that resurrection power in us, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. For Peter knew that everything hinges on this event of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade. Everything on this side of eternity does perish, does spoil, does fade. People will let you down. We can... Everything will let us down except Jesus. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. If the resurrection happens, heaven's a reality. We're going to live. The, the scriptures say, the gospels teach us, those who are in Christ do not experience death. You're just simply going to walk. It's like walking through one. It's like walking out of a room to outside. You're just going to exit into eternity. Timothy Keller, one of our great, I think one of the most credible scholars alive today and theologians today, said this. Why is it so hard to do the right thing if you know it's going to cost you money, reputation, or maybe even your life? We see people who say, why did they have that affair? They've lost everything. Why did they embezzle? Why did they get, go so far? And we see like lives get ruined. Why is it so hard to face your own death or death of loved ones? It's hard because we think this broken world is the only world that's ever going to be. But if Jesus is risen, here's Timothy's words. If Jesus is risen, then your future is so much more beautiful and so much more certain than that. That means we have hope. If the resurrection is true, you can grab this. If the resurrection is true, guys. We have a future hope. Heaven is a reality. So is hell. But we don't have to spend eternity there. God desires that none should perish. He desires that everyone would say yes to him, follow him, pursue him, and find life in him. This is his heart for us. My grandmother, my dad's mom, was an atheist. At 15 years old, I shared my faith with her because she had been diagnosed with cancer, and I thought she was going to die. She lived... 10 or 15 years since then, but I thought she's going to die, so I shared my faith. She rejected it. She rejected me. It felt like a rejection to me, but really it was a rejection of Jesus. And she told me, Mike, you don't have to worry about me going to hell because I'm so bad even the devil doesn't want me. That's what my grandma told me. But on her deathbed, she had been diagnosed with a terminal brain. She had a tumor in her brain. And the last few days of her life, she did say a prayer to Jesus. Her daughter led her to the Lord. When, when my aunt shared the gospel, she said, it can't be that easy. And she says, no, Mom, it is that easy. He'll forgive you. She says a prayer. For the next three days, she would tell us and ask my mom, ask my parents, can you hear the angels? Can you hear them? She'd ask, can you hear them singing? She would tell us, I keep going from heaven and earth. Heaven, she was in between the reality of heaven and the reality of earth. This is an atheist who gives her heart to the Lord. You don't just make that up. The reason why that happened is because the resurrection is true. It's a reality. And if it is true, it changes everything. Everything. It is the most important question you need to answer. Did this happen or did it not? 
If it didn't happen, we're all fools. But if it did, it changes everything. And you're going to get something better. A better word. A better message. A better story. I make better decisions because I'm a follower of Jesus. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship together in a song. Stand up as we worship with this song.